Well, last week, if you were here, I got in a little bit of trouble because I made fun of cats. Um, and uh, it was bad. And I, I, I mean, some people that have never amened me in five years, they were like, boo! I was trying to preach while people were like, you know, doing stuff like that. And uh, I literally, this is no kidding, I literally, as I was greeting people on the way out, <clears throat> I literally had people with their iPhones showing me pictures of their cat. Why are you clapping? I, <laughs> she likes when you guys turn on me. I, I like that, yeah. So I decided to try to redeem myself today instead of making fun of cats. Uh, I thought what I would do is, it, it was crazy. I mean, not only cats and, and all that. It's like, I thought, man, we were going to have like protests, you know, out there. Justice for kitty. You know, I, I didn't know. It was just craziness. I was like, whoa, I really, he, it, kitties are not God, everybody just wants you to know. In fact, quite the, con- oops, never mind, okay. So instead of making fun of cats, I thought I'd try to redeem myself, and we would start today by bragging on cats, all right? And uh, we, we, no, I'm not going to show cat videos, everybody, but I thought I'd quote a famous cat, all right, everybody? And you mostly know him as Dr. Seuss, the cat in the hat, all right? You know your pastor has deep spiritual truths when he leads with cat in the hat. But here's what cat in the hat, this is the lost Dr. Seuss poem. And we're talking about confronting conflict, and I want to dive a little bit more into confronting the conflict on the job site or in the workplace. I like this poem. It says, I love my job. I love my job. I love the pay. I love it more and more each day. I love my boss. He's the best. I love his boss and all the rest. I love my office and its location. I hate to have to go on vacation. How many know this is a fairy tale, right? <laughs> I love my furniture, drab and gray, and piles of paper. They grow each day. I think my job is really swell. There's nothing else I love so well. I love to work among my peers. I love their leers and jeers and sneers. I love my computer and its software. I hug it often, though it won't care. I love each program and every file. I'd love them more if they'd work a while. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, I am, I am. I'm the happiest slave of the firm, I am. I love this work, I love these chores, I love the meetings with deadly bores. I love my job, I'll say it again, I even love those friendly men. Those friendly men who have come today in clean white coats to take me away. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Right? Woo, all right. Did I kind of redeem myself, Cat? Just give me a meow if we're back in... No, I'm just kidding. Well, we're continuing our series on confronting conflict. Next week, we're going to talk about when the conflict is internal. When the conflict, you're in conflict with yourself. But I I really wanted to continue on this vein, and and it's almost like a series inside a series because I want to continue last week's thought on the confrontation in the workplace. What do you do when you're serving God on a Sunday and on fire for God on a Sunday, but then Monday rolls around and you have to go back to a place that is toxic or you have to go back to a place that is really hard for you to let the love of Jesus shine in your life? Um, 
I, I thought this was funny. I found this years ago. I've never been able to use it anywhere, but I'm going to use it right here. Employees at a Detroit office found they were having difficult time getting the job done, so they posted the following notice on the employee bulletin board. I want to read it to you. Here's what it says. It says, the management regrets that it has come to their attention that workers dying on the job are failing to fall down. This practice must stop as it becomes impossible to distinguish between death and natural movement of the staff. Any employees found dead in the upright position will henceforth be dropped from the payroll. Amen, right, everybody? How many think that's a good work policy, right? Now, this subject, it might seem a little trivial, and I, I kind of went into this, this part of this series with a little fear and trepidation, because like, wow, does it really relate to everybody? Some people here are retired, uh, some people work from home, and all kind of different things. But, you know, the average American spends over 50% of their time on the job site. Job site being office, being construction, being whatever that is. And, and the problem for me as a pastor is that while that's where we spend over 50% of our time, yet we never deal with the specific topic of Christians on the job. I think too often we talk about what Christians act like when we're around other Christians. But shouldn't we be talking about what Christians act like when we're not around other Christians, right? Shouldn't we talk about what happens in everyday, uh, everyday life, those kind of things? In other words, I think the church ought to be doing a better job equipping us for life and training us to live life when we get outside of the church bubble and we have to be a light in a dark world. And would anybody agree it's getting darker and darker? And we need to be brighter and brighter all the time. Otherwise, what happens is we treat church as our drug of choice, and we come here on Sunday morning for a hit, and then we just try to scrape by through the next week until we can show up Sunday again to the hope dealer can and get another shot. Come on now, right? And, and, and church, that's great, and I love that that might be the opinion, but church has to be bigger than that. It it has to be equipping us how to be better citizens. It has to be equipping us how to be better husbands and wives and parents and employees and on the workforce. Come on, am I right about this? Yeah. And, uh, and I think if you're like me, uh, many of us find a paradox in the battle between the two. It's like, how can I come to church on Sunday and just want to worship and sing and pray and hang out with my Christian family, but then I got to go to work tomorrow, and it's nothing like what I just experienced just a few hours ago. It, it's this paradox. It's kind of like, um, it, like Mary and Martha. They give us this picture. You know the story of Mary and Martha? Jesus was coming to their house, and, and, and it was the battle between them because Mary was so busy working, and all Martha wanted to do was sit at the feet of Jesus and worship. And, 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 and if you're a worshiper, you're like, yeah, Martha was right. But how many know somebody had to cook the dinner, right? So we, it's a paradox. We have to work and we have to worship. And sometimes it becomes this battle between the two natures that dwell inside of us. And so what do we do when work and worship collide? What do we do in life when we love Jesus, but we're in an environment over 50% of the time that definitely not only doesn't love Jesus, but is actually opposed to your faith 
in Jesus. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? It, it, it's, what do we do, in other words, when Mary and Martha are arguing inside of our own chest? What do we do in those situations? Well, David is kind of our backdrop that we used last week. I'm going to go back to that scripture in 1 Samuel chapter number 18, and uh, I want to look at David's life again. I'm going to read that to you for those of you that weren't here, and then we're just going to pick up with our list what to do and things to remember in a toxic work environment. So here we go, 1 Samuel chapter Chapter number 18. Here's the story. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, now just a reminder, Saul is David's boss, okay? So you got to kind of contextualize the verse just a little bit. So whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. It, let me pause right there because I didn't bring this out. But I believe as Christians, we are called to be winners, Okay, let me try that again, all right, because maybe you need to be reminded. As Christians, I think not only are we called to be winners, I think we're called to be successful. I think that the Bible says that, he, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In other words, I think that whatever we put our hands to do as people of God with ethics and integrity, we ought to shine above everybody else. We ought to be the best employees. We ought to be the employees that build the fence and paint the fence. We ought to be the employees that show up on time and don't leave early and don't use the office stuff for personal things. We ought to be that person that whether our boss is a believer or not, they really want to hire us, not because we're Christians, but that's the benefit of hiring Christians. Come on, are you guys hearing what I'm saying today, right? And so whatever he was given to do, he was successful. Now imagine, I mean, some of his jobs were menial. I mean, he just playing the harp in the kingdom, kind of like those piano players in the mall. You know, no one's paying attention. He's just doing his thing. But whatever he did, it was successful. He did it great. And so this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. Boy, what a scene that is, right? And then it goes on and it says, As they danced, they sang. Saul is slain as thousands and David is tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased pleased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. It goes on, there's just a little bit more. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. Now, that's a very controversial verse I don't have time to go into. It's just that God allowed it to happen. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, and his, as he usually did. Now, talk about a tough work environment, everybody. Look at this work environment. You're doing the thing you're hired to do, and a spear is thrown at you. Now, I know there's nobody in here that's had a spear thrown at them this week, and if so, that's a whole nother meeting that we need to have privately, all right? But you may have had things thrown at you, insults, accusations, lies, gossip, rumors, come on, right? Staplers? No, okay, all right, just making sure, all right. And so, uh, so Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. 
but David eluded him twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but he had departed from Saul. Wow, there's a lot to this, but let me just for the sake of time, uh, I, last week I gave you five reminders and I didn't dissect this verse, I just want to use it as a backdrop, but out of this story, out of this rough work environment that David was in, there's some things that we could remember. Last week I gave you five, I'm just going to repeat them, I'm not going to re-preach them, it's online if you want to watch it, but here they are. Here's five things to remember in a toxic work environment. Number one is appreciation should not be expected. You're not going to work to get your emotional love buckets filled up. Okay? And if you do, then what's happening is you're not separating the difference between what you do and who you are. How many of you are glad you're bigger than what you do? See, some people in your life only know you as the pipe fitter. Some people only know you as the carpenter. Some people only know you as the CEO, the accountant, whatever it is. But aren't you glad that you are bigger than that? And God doesn't love you based on what you do, right? All right, number two is atmosphere cannot be changed to the positive by using the negative. Don't let the toxic work environment get in you, and now you're participating in the negativity on the, on the job site. Number three is achievement brings glory to God. In other words, sometimes we need to close our mouths and just do a better job witnessing and talking about Jesus on the job, it's great if they allow that, but the best way that we can share our testimony on the boss's dime is by doing a good job. Come on, everybody, right? All right. And by the way, don't I get a little credit for all 10 of these are going to start with the letter A. Way to go, Ken. Yeah. All right. That took more time than studying the Bible. I just want you to know. All right, here we go. Number four is attitude determines altitude. The Bible says, let this attitude be in us that was in Christ Jesus. So attitude, have a positive attitude. Uh, we will never change anything, and we will never change anyone by being negative. Never do it. You'll never change anything for the better by, by complaining. Uh, there's a verse in the New Testament that says that the wrath of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. Okay? Number five is adversarial situations bring out God's best in you. And so maybe your job is the very thing that God is using to rub off the rough edges in you. Maybe it's that very job that you're praying, God, please deliver me from, that is the answer to the first prayer that you prayed, God, make me more like Jesus. Maybe it's in that situation that your creativity will be birthed and your, your, your problem solving will be birthed. So uh, don't always run from the tough situations of life. Okay, so let's start today with number six. Here we go, number six. Adopt to different personalities. We've got to adapt to different personalities. How many know that God didn't make everybody just like you, right? How many know not everybody is just like you? And they're not as good as you because of that. No, I'm just kidding, all right? But not, we've got to learn how to work with a multitude of different personalities at Next Steps, which, by the way, is coming up next month. At Next Steps, one of the things we do is teach different personality types and help you discover what your personality type is. And uh, we do the real simple DISC personality profile. And letter D, if you could give me those, letter D is for the dominance. 3% of the world's population is a letter D. 
They're dominant. Some of their characteristics are they're direct, they're task-oriented, they're decisive, they're organized, they're outgoing, they're outspoken. They're like a bull in a china cabinet a lot. And oftentimes, watch this, oftentimes one of the other three letters are answering to or working for a letter D. And it's hard for us to relate to letter Ds because only 3% of the world's population is a true letter D. Notice they're outgoing, but notice they're not uh, extroverts. Mm-hmm. That means they probably don't like being around you. All right, That's what that means. They're outgoing, and everything to them is a task. Everything to them is a task. They don't want to, under, they don't want to hear about the birthing pains. They just want to see the baby. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And they often pet the cat backwards. They're always on somebody's nerves, but they don't care. They're immune to it. They're there to get a job done. They're there to birth a business. They're there to get to the bottom line. They don't care about how you got to the bottom line. They just want the bottom bottom line. They're a D personality. And if you work for a D personality, it is not the D's personality. It's not his job to pursue to understand you. Come on. It's your job to pursue to understand him or her. Come on. That's good advice right there, even if you don't like the preaching. All right, everybody? Letter I, letter I is uh, 11% of the world's population. They're influencers. They're interested in people. They love people. They just, where's the party? You know, that's them kind of people, all right? They're witty. They're easygoing. And because they're easygoing, they don't understand Ds. It's like, what's the emergency, dude? Chill out, man. I mean, they're all like surfer dudes. You know what I mean? It's like, whoa, dude. Whoa, brah. You know, okay, so, all right, so they're witty. They're easy going, they're outgoing, they're very people-oriented, but not in a task kind of a way. They're people-oriented in a genuine kind of, like, tell me your life story in real time. You know, like, they really want to hear it all, okay? And so only 11% of the world's population, on average, is, uh, is a letter I. And then we come to most people. Most people are a letter S. 69% of the world is an S, and, and, and those are usually the employees that work for a D most of the time. That's usually what's going on, and, and, and they're steady. Just give me my job. Just tell me where to clock in, where to clock out. Tell me what, what part you want made. Tell me what job you want done. Tell me what papers you want correlated. Tell me what motor needs to be rebuilt, and, and they, just, they just want their assignment. They, they want to show up, do their job, and then leave and leave it all behind and not worry about it until the next day. They're steady. They're stable. Uh, they're analytical. They're people-oriented, but they're often introverted. Don't mistake this. Here's a little side note. Sometimes we think introverts and extroverts means that we like people or don't like people or like being with people or don't like being with people. That is not true. Notice this. Um, Letter S's are very people-oriented, but they're introverted. What that means is if I'm introverted, I don't get fueled up by being with people. It doesn't mean I don't like people. It means I get fueled up by being alone. I'm a very introverted people. I love people. I love being with you. I get out there and high-five and shake as many hands as I can, but I get refueled as I'm preparing for every Sunday alone in my little shed, all right? All right, so, and then lastly, there's the 
letter C, um, and C is 17% of the world's population. They're just compliant. They kind of go with the flow. They're very smart, very competent. They're very task-oriented, usually extremely organized, uh, goal-oriented, and they're introverted also. Okay, this is just a quick thing. We dive into that a little bit more at Next Steps, but here's the point I want to make. If you don't learn how to get along with the personality that's different than you, watch this, you're only going to get along with people 25% of the time. And if you're a letter D and you only get along with other letter Ds, you're going to have a hard time finding other letter Ds. You're not going to have very many people in your circle. And you're probably going to kill each other once you get in the circle because all of you want to be the boss, all right? Okay, you've got to be able to have a work relationship with people in a public life that you wouldn't have in your private life. Oh, come on now. That was worth the price of admission right there. I'm going to say it again. You've got to be able to have a work relationship with people in a public life that you wouldn't have in your private life. You have a front stage of your life and you have a backstage of your life. The backstage is your family and your friends, your close circle. But there's the platform, the front stage of your life, and you've got to be able to get along with people on both stages that you walk on. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and, and by the way, there's people that are different than you on the backstage too. Right, everyone? If, only, if you only work with people that are like you, you're going to be extremely limited in life. And, um, God will, and, and here's one of the things to remember. God will often bless you through people that you don't get along with, that you don't see eye to eye with, that you disagree with. Come on. But if you learn how to keep them in your circle, even though they believe different, come on now, act different, But you keep them. One of the things I've learned in my life, if I keep my circle open, everyone that's in my circle end up blessing me as much or more than I try to bless them. So I try to keep my circle open. It's the people that I push onto the outside of my circle. Those are the people that end up hurting me in life. Come on. God can bless you with people that you don't agree with. God can bless you with relationships that vote different than you. I'm working this one, and I'm not getting any amen, so here I go. Okay, then let me say it another way. Here's why God can do that, because God's bigger than them, and God's bigger than you, and God's bigger than your opinion of them, and God's blessings aren't predicated upon personalities. Now, everybody ought to say amen to that one right there. Let me give you a quick little Bible reference to this. If we were doing a book, I'd really dive into this. But Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to build the walls around Jerusalem. And when Nehemiah went back, he had been serving a king and still was serving a king that was a pagan king that didn't believe in God, that was opposed to God. But because of Nehemiah's professional relationship with his boss, Nehemiah's boss financed the work of God. Come on, because he kept his circle open and he learned how to get along with Christians and non-Christians, with donkeys and elephants. (laughs) 
See, David, watch this, even the life of David in the story I just read to you, David was blessed by Saul, yet Saul wasn't the kind of person that David wanted to socialize with. I mean, Saul was an egomaniac. Come on, have you ever read his life? He is a nutcase, man. I I mean, everything is about him. He's narcissistic. He's just, I mean, it's just crazy. And And he's throwing spears at David. But David got along with him, and he was blessed by Saul. A few years back, it's been a number of years ago now, there was a really popular book, especially amongst Christians in church circles, called The Prayer of Jabez. How many remember this book? Anybody at all? A few of you. It was a big book, Bruce Wilkinson, The Prayer of Jabez, and... The whole idea of the prayer of Jabez is, uh, is the prayer that he prayed in the Old Testament, and, and the prayer was simply, Lord, would you enlarge my territory? And so the whole book is about that God would expand our territory, would expand our influence, and, and it's a prayer that I often pray for Radius. God, just give us a bigger platform, increase our influence, that we would have a, a bigger reach. So it's a good prayer, but first, before God might increase our territory, first we've got to enlarge our ability to get along with other people, nice people, and mean people, all right? Don't look at anybody and say that's you, all right? But saved people and unsaved people. Come on, right, everyone? And, and, and I honestly believe that the reason, if I could now be pastor here, that, that the reason that some churches don't have bigger influence and have a bigger reach and why some churches don't grow is because they only accept one kind of personality. Come on, Christians, we got to be big enough that we accept not only different personalities but different beliefs. we got to have an open circle enough where everyone has the right to come sit in a black chair, whether they're atheist, whether they're Muslim, whether they're new age, come on, that they can come here and we will still let the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shine forth. Come on, can I get an amen? Matter of fact, matter of fact, I, I want us to adopt a new theme song at the church, and, and some of you are going to be offended by this, and it cracks me up, because some people will be more offended by what I'm getting ready to put on the screen. This is your warning, all right? If you need to duck your head down and plug your ears, go for it for about 60 seconds, all right? This is your warning. Some people will be more offended by what I'm getting ready to say than being offended that we've become a closed circle and we only get along with people that believe the Bible the way we do. But we got to be bigger than that because we're not called just to keep talking to one another, we're called to a world that is, and, and maybe our community is getting worse and worse because we're not reaching more and more. Ah, that's another day. That's another day, Ken. Stop it. Stop it, all right? Toby Keith sang a song. Come on, where's all my country music fans? Whoa, all right then. All right, welcome, Cedra Woolley. Glad you're here. All right. Did I say that? Hey, I like country music. Now I got the country music and the cat people mad. Listen, fall's coming. I'm trying to make more room for the new people, all right? That's what I'm doing. Toby Keith saying, come on, give me my lyrics. We got winners, we got losers. Look, some of you are already singing the song. We got chain smokers and boozers. We got yuppies, we got bikers, and we got thirsty hitchhikers, all right? And the girls next door dress up like movie stars. Mm-hmm. How many of you know this song? Don't lie in church. I know, I know you've only, always all your life, only sang Amazing Grace. 
I know that. And then he says, the chorus is, I love this bar. I like the next line, too. I can't help it. We got cowboys. We got them. We got them, man. We, we got truckers. We got broken-hearted fools and suckers. And we got hustlers, and we got fighters, early birds and all-nighters. And the veterans talk about their battle scars. Whoa, 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 whoa. I love this bar. I like the bridge. The bridge says this. Can I get the next line? It says, I love this bar. It's my kind of place. Just walking through the front door puts a big smile on my face, all right? It ain't too far. Come as you are. I love this bar. We just need to change one word. That ought to be the church's theme song. That ought to be Radius's theme song right there. So next Sunday when we open the service, we're going to open with I love this bar. It's my kind of place. Just walking through the front door puts a big smile on my face. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's not too far. Come on, all you Cedar Woolley, Anacortes, Bellingham, Marysville. Come on. You're here in the house. I know you are. Come as you are. I love this church. Right, everybody? Come on now. Say a good amen to that. See, we've got to learn something that is vital. It's not about you and me. The Bible says, let those of us that are more mature give way to those that don't know Christ yet, to those that are less spiritually mature. It's, about, it's not about me and you and what we want. Everything we do around here is not even my cup of tea, everybody. But it's not about me. I'm on my way to heaven. I know how to worship. I know how to pray. I know how to connect with God. I've secured my salvation, everybody. But we've got to give way. Come on to some people that have no idea who Jesus is. Come on, am I right about this? Uh, it's about them. And many times, let me switch back out of the church, many times our success, our finances, our happiness, our opportunities are limited because we can't accept opposite different personalities into our circle and we're expecting to have a personal relationship with someone that's there to have a professional relationship with mm. if David didn't learn how to get along with Saul he would have missed his ultimate purpose he would have missed his ultimate blessing if he would not have learned to get along with the guy that was throwing spears at him and insulting him what David did is he ducked and he just kept on serving and he ducked and he kept on serving feels like a dance move and he kept on serving alright okay eventually the spears that Saul was throwing boomerang back at him here's some quick, quick simple advice don't pick up spears spears and throw spears, go out to the Goliaths and keep on throwing rocks. Say, what's the difference? Because Goliath represents a spiritual battle. Saul represents a, a battle with man. Come on. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in this dark world. Right, everybody? That's number six. That would make a whole message, but you're not getting out that easy. Number seven. Number seven is advancement in the future is determined by how you work in the present. It, 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 what you're going to become on some day, you're, you're, you're becoming today. You're working on that 
today. Where, let me say it another way. Where you're at is not your final destination, everybody. What you have is not all that you can have. Where you're at in, the, in your career is not where you have to stay in your career. What you will be tomorrow is decided by what you're doing today. And, and, and so you've got to have some faith. If you're hoping for something, then you need some faith because faith is the evidence of the things that you're hoping for. And if you're not hoping for a better tomorrow, then your faith has nowhere to work. Your prayer life has nowhere to work. Your church attendance really doesn't have any any meat to it. But if you're trying to break a generational curse and be better than you are today and be better than the previous generation and go further, you need some faith to do that. Right, everybody? Yeah. Let me say it another way that you'll grab hold of. If your dreams aren't expandable, they're expendable. You're still breathing God's air because God isn't done with you yet. His purpose is still being fulfilled in your life. Right, everyone? Uh, I, I love if I was contrast, and Peter sank when he took his eyes off the goal. What I'm encouraging you is don't get your eye off the goal when you're doing the menial. Don't get your eye off where you're trying to go when all you're there and when you feel like you're low man on the totem pole. Don't get your eye off the goal. In fact, let me say it another way. Do something you've never done so that you can see something that you've never seen and get something that you've never had and meet people you've never met. David put up with his present because he knew his future. David put up with Saul because he knew one day I'm going to be sitting in your chair. Come on, think about it. He put up with his present because he never lost sight of his future. Number eight. Number eight is uh, attain your goals by polishing your skills. Oh, I love this one. Um, I I love the story when Samuel came uh, to Jesse's house, which is David's father, and they were looking for the new king that was going to take over for Saul. Jesse called all his sons in to stand before the, the priest uh, and, or the prophet and stand before him. But he didn't call David in. David was left out in the field. Can you imagine what that'd feel like? Just, I, I'm not even good enough to be in the lineup. So David got left in the field. But watch this. But while he was overlooked... He was out in the field being faithful to the thing that he was supposed to do. He was doing his job. It felt menial. He felt like he was overlooked. He felt, but you know what he was doing out there? He was polishing his skills. Come on. He was watching someone else's stuff and polishing his skills. I don't want you to overlook this. It doesn't sound real exciting, but he was polishing his skill. Watch this. The Bible says one time when he was watching his father's sheep that a bear came out, and David killed the bear. Come on now. He was faithful with another man's stuff. And then another time he was watching the sheep, another time a lion came out, and David killed the lion. Come on. He, he didn't say, well, I feel sick today. Click, and, and he didn't clock out, right? He said, no, I'm going to do my job even when I'm being overlooked even when I'm being mistreated, even when I'm being underappreciated, oh man, I'm still going to do my job. By the way, when David went out to face Goliath and he picked up five stones and he put one in, in a sling and he threw it, it wasn't a slingshot like this, it was a rock and a rag, and he took that thing and he threw it and hit Goliath, how do you think he learned how to do that? He learned how to do that when the lion came. He learned how to do that when the bear came. He learned how to do that in the back room when nobody was giving him promotions and Nobody was watching. He was practicing and polishing his skill. Come on, everybody, right? And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. 
Your gift will make room for you. The thing that you polish, the thing that you stay faithful in, it'll make room for you. In the next two weeks, I'm going to speak four men's conferences in the next two weeks and five different messages. And you know what it is? It's because I decided a long time ago that I was going to pour into men because I needed to pour into myself. And when nobody was watching, I'm writing notes about how to be a better husband, how to be a better father, how to be a better man. And your gift will always make room for you. And, and by the way, what you're frustrated about could be a commercial to what you're good at. Mm-hmm. How many of you, you know somebody, they could, watch, they, they could walk in here today and step over a bag of garbage to sit down and not even bother them? How many know somebody like that? Don't point at them, but you know somebody. How many of you are that person? I don't even notice that the chairs are out of alignment. I didn't notice that there was muddy footprints. But if it bothers you you're probably anointed to do something about it. It always cracks me up as a pastor when people leave the church. Oh, I'm leaving the church because. And like, well, maybe God brought you here because. Right? I'm leaving the church because they don't do such and such good. Well, here's your clue. That means you're probably good at it. That's why it bothers you. And maybe that's why God brought you here to be a part of the piece of the puzzle to fix it. Come on, somebody. Uh, uh, Have you ever noticed how some people just make their job look easy? Have you ever noticed this? Come on, turn on the NFL today, and they'll make it look easy. And we'll all sit there and say, oh, well, well, he should have zigged when he zagged. Like, it's really easy. So Somebody said to me not long ago, they said, man, I just admire how you just pop up there, Ken, and just start rattling things off. And, and I wanted to punch him, but it was a compliment. It was a compliment. I took it as a compliment, and I, I, and I wanted to say, I didn't say, so I'm saying it now. I only wished that it was easy. Because what you don't see is that I agonize over this stuff. I'm telling you, in about an hour and a half, I'll be done with the second service. I'll be driving home. Ask my wife if this is not true. I'll start already stressing and freaking out about Sunday's coming. Like, we haven't even had lunch yet, honey. Settle down. Right? Well, Sunday's coming. And I agonize over these messages and constantly study and constantly reading scripture and constantly reading books and constantly watching other communicators. Uh, and, and, and somebody one time, a long time ago, said, Ken, I'd like to do what you do. And then I asked him the question, yeah, but do you want to do what I did? See, people want to get up and do this, but do you want to do what I did? And it's the same thing. I would love to shoot basketball like Michael Jordan did, but I don't want to do what he did. Right? We had uh, Michael Jordan's mom one year was our guest for Mother's Day, so his mom and his sister came, and after they got done speaking the Mother's Day message, we all went out to lunch together, and, and I couldn't help it. I just had to ask questions about Michael Jordan, and she was just telling me, man, when he was a kid, when he, when he didn't make the basketball team in high school, man, he became obsessed. He would go out there and shoot basketballs after basketball, midnight, and my husband would have to get up and tell him, get in here and go to bed. He would skip his homework. He would skip everything. He wouldn't date. He wouldn't do anything. He was obsessed with shooting the basketball. We applaud him because he's one of of, I think, the greatest basketball player ever, but we didn't see what he did to get to where he's at. His mom said that when he was shooting the movie Space Jam, he said he'd do the movie Space Jam as long as they built him a temporary uh, basketball, enclosed basketball court, and in between all of his takes, he was shooting free shots, shooting free shots, shooting free shots. Why? 
Come on. Here's why. Attain your goals by polishing your skills. For years, David sang to the Lord and watched his daddy's sheep. For years, he's out there, kumbaya, my Lord. For years, he's out there playing the harp, soothing the sheep. But God took his gift that he polished and advanced him with the gift that he polished. Come on now. When Goliath showed up, he already knew how to throw rocks, everybody. He had been polishing his skill. Can you imagine how boring it is to watch sheep from time to time? He leads me beside green pastures so that I could take a nap. So what was he doing while they were taking naps? See that stick way over there? And he polished his skill. And one day, Goliath showed up. And Goliath was way bigger than that twig that he tried to hit over and over and over and over. Right, everybody? Mm -hmm. So here's what I'm saying. When your time comes, be ready. I tell young people this all the time, especially young people that, oh, I'm praying for that special somebody. I wish somebody. No, 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 no. You polish you. You work on you. You make yourself the biggest catch there is. Come on. You work on you. And when your time comes, come on. Right? Number nine. Am I on number nine? Yeah, I'm on number nine. Number nine. Avoid clicks and clubs. Avoid clicks and clubs. And this is a good word for the church also. Avoid clicks and clubs. Uh, let me just cut to it and say it this way. Work with everyone. Work with everyone. I know you're taking notes and you're so deep in thought, but work with everyone. Yeah, because everyone God loves. And everyone is God, is God's creation. Every, work with, let me say it another way. Work with everyone and pledge allegiance to no one. Ooh, come on, because there will be people trying to get you on their side for their thing. Come on now. You're bigger than that thing. You're bigger than that click. You're bigger than that moment. You're bigger than that argument. Come on, everybody. There will always be a campaign trying to get you on their bandwagon. God wants you bigger than one group and bigger than one bandwagon. He wants you bigger than one belief system. He wants you bigger than one political party. He wants you bigger than that. Come on, everybody, right? Uh, get the labels off you. Labels only limit you. I frustrate people because they, they can't quite put a label on me. Well, he's a pastor, but, but yet he, you know, and he's this, but yet he's that. Get the labels off of you. Don't fit in the box. You're bigger than all that. You're bigger than what you do. You're bigger than those eight hours a day. You're bigger than that circumstance. Come on. You're a child of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and when David finally left Saul, what I love about this story, when David finally said, I've had enough and went somewhere else, he didn't complain while he was walking out the door. He didn't create a Facebook page and get everybody liking his opinion or his side or why he was doing what he was doing. He didn't recruit a club to get them on his side so he felt better about why he had to leave. No, he just picked up his harp, worshiped God, and walked out the door and trusted God to open the next door. Can I get an amen on on that, right? You and God are always a majority. Uh, and, and, and I love this. He, he, he refused to get in a clique. He refused to put on a label. Because if you read some parts of David's life, you would think, oh man, he's just a, he's just a skinny jean-wearing, worshiping pastor, you know? He just kumbaya, my Lord. And then you turn the page and realize, no, no, he's not going to get stuck in a clique. He's not just a worshiper. He's a warrior, too. And while he's singing, I love Jesus, he's chopping off Goliath's head. 
Come on now. He refused to get in one circle or the other. See, the click, the click you're in only labels one portion of who you are. Amen. Let me do the next one. Uh, last one. Here it is. Number 10, in a toxic work environment, number 10, always keep your song near you. Always keep. Don't lose your song. I say this all the time, and I have to remind myself sometimes, your praise or your song is like your, it's like your superpower. It's like every Christian ought to have your song in the medicine cabinet. And when life is tough and life, you got to just go to singing. Come on now. Mm, all right, let me, let me work it out a little bit. All right. Um, when it gets rough, I mean, I don't really even know how else to say that. When it gets rough, just start singing. Just start singing unto the Lord. Because the Bible says that he will inhabit the praises of his people. When he let Paul and, Saul, uh, uh, Paul and Silas out of prison, he shook the prison doors. Uh, and, and some people say that he shook the prison doors to let Paul and Silas out of prison. I think he shook the prison doors so he could get in because he's going to come close to those that are singing his praises. And so when things get tough, in other words, the moment you feel least like praising him, that's when you ought to praise him the most. And when I feel least like praising him is when I need a little assistance. So I go to YouTube, and I type in my favorite worship songs, and, and I just go to worshiping God. And I don't feel like it. I mean, I'm singing like this. This is a day. And before I know it, my spirit man is fueled, and now I'm seeing through the eyes of the spirit and not the eyes of the flesh. Come on. you got to keep your song near because God will inhabit that. There's a place in your life that trouble can't touch, and that place is praise. Don't wait to start singing when you are in the problem. Come on. By the way, don't wait until there's a problem to start singing. Just make singing and praising a part of your life. Come on, friends. You didn't wait until you were at the club to start partying back in the day. I know you didn't. Come on. Some of you roll out of bed and show up here. And, oh, the song's over already? What's the matter? Don't, don't I mean, when you were partying, you didn't do that. You, you, you have the whole day you're thinking, oh, going to the club tonight. Woo. You, you put in that A-track tape. <laughs> you know you did. Come on, I know how old some of you are. Our average age isn't 35 anymore, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. How, how many remember fixing A-track tapes? Remember you put a little piece of scotch tape, you know? I'm your boogie man. And you'd have that little skip, just, I am... <laughs> And I'm here to say, come on, look, everybody's like, you done that, huh? Yeah, 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 okay, sorry. That, that was, I had a couple extra minutes, so I thought I'd throw that in there. But seriously, no kidding, no, no kidding. We didn't wait when, when we were partying, when we'd go to the club. We'd be listening to jams all the way there. We were in there doing our hair up in the beehive, singing, singing all the songs, doing all the stuff, getting our hearts prepared for the environment we were going to be in. I wish that some Christians would get their hearts prepared for the environment that they were going to be in and praise the Lord whether we feel like it or not. So sing all the way to work. Quit listening to all that garbage that poisons your spirit. Uh, uh, sing all the way to work, and when you get there, change the environment. Amen, everybody? I'm going to end right there. I'm going to end with I'm your boogeyman. All right, everyone? And here, 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 listen. I can't think of a better Sunday to launch life groups. 
practice doing life together. You're spending eight hours with people that might be toxic to you. Spend a couple hours, spend, I beg you, spend more than a 45-minute sermon on Sunday to try to counteract all that toxicity that you're dealing with Monday through Saturday. Come on, it's hard, for, it's hard to compete a 45-minute message toward hours and hours of toxicity. Somewhere in the week, make a pit stop, refuel your tank, change the tires, Go to some life groups. Start rubbing elbows with other people that are struggling with the very same things you're struggling with and can have conversations with you. I beg you. And you might not find your life group that you like the first time. You might show up and they're all S's and you're an I and you're like, whoa, this is weird. I'm out of here. Then go to another one and go to another one. Come on. Only one time in our whole 35 years of marriage has my wife ever made a meal I haven't liked. I'm kidding, of course, all right, but I don't want her to know that. But when she made me that meal, meatloaf and peas, when she made me that meal, I didn't stop eating for the rest of my life because I didn't like meatloaf and peas. I said, hey, baby, I love you so much. We got to do better on the meatloaf and peas, I'm just telling you. Right? you. You hear what I'm saying today? Come on now. Get your crew before you get your crisis, because this life will have them, and you need your crew. And if you think, I say this in love, if you think that the pastor, remember Superman last week, can be all things to all men and everywhere at the same time, you're going to be so mad at the church because we're not being what you thought we should be. So I'm telling you the solution to that. Get your crew before you get your crisis. Amen to everybody? Come on. Would you give the Lord a good hand clap?